Kia ora, Womanjika. My name's Matt, and along with Claire uh, Wild, we're excited to be kicking off uh, another episode on the Voices of Regen podcast. Uh, and this being the market conditions for impact series. Before we begin and, and listen to our two amazing guest speakers that we have joining us from Aotearoa and also Italy today, we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge Parbanata or Mother Earth um, and the diverse ecosystems uh, that are the grounding for each of the organizations that uh, we as contributors to the podcast are coming from. So for me, this is on the Boonwurrung and Boonwurrung country, uh, just southeast of Melbourne, um, and then uh, extending that to all of the other places in, in Aotearoa and Italy um, where, we're, where we're joining. Also acknowledging the elders and the culture carriers, the knowledge carriers that have the strong, some of the strongest connections to those ecosystems and that traditional ecological knowledge um, that they pass on through uh, through the different generations. But of course, acknowledging the diverse cultural backgrounds that are represented in this uh, conversation and also um, in our listening community. So just to recap on uh, this market conditions for impact series, really our motivation for doing this was to step back and look at that big picture of how not just individual organizations, but the way that uh, multi-sector um, alignment can be created uh, within places to create uh, diverse social, ecological and economic benefits for all stakeholders in the global community. And so the metaphor or analogy that we've been using is it's kind of like getting the soil in your veggie uh, garden at home set up and, and right so that you can grow all, all manner of things. And you know that when you get the soil right, then lots of things become possible. But if you get the soil wrong, if you get the pH levels, um, you know, uh, too alkaline or too acidic, then you start steering things in a different direction. It's the same uh, with our economy. So I guess just once again, acknowledging that now we believe is a time for unapologetically bold leadership uh, in this economic transition. We, today we want to zoom in to the potential for organisational governance um, that creates regeneration. So we're not just talking about ecological regeneration, we're talking about social, cultural and economic regeneration at the same time. And we're gonna be exploring this through two lens today. So we're, we're gonna be exploring from a systems thinking lens, but also a B Corp certification and assessment lens. And our two uh, guests who I'll just read the, the bios and then pass to them so that they can elaborate and explain more themselves. But we have Massimo Macati, uh, who was born in Città di Castello in Italy in 1971. After graduating in law, he devoted himself to managing the family business, Aboca, uh, where he is now CEO. He founded the Apoteca Natura Pharmacy Network and is the president of the Municipal Pharmacies of Florence. He has published the book, uh, The Business as a Living System, um, which I can vouch for and uh, I actually passed a Spanish copy of that to one of my friends from Mexico on the weekend so that she can uh, read that. Um, and he lives in San Sepulcro in Italy now. And a gorgeous place that I had the privilege to visit for an international impact trade gathering going back um, to June this year. Now, uh, Kule uh, is the Aotearoa manager for B-Lab, the non-for-profit organization that oversees B Corp certification in New Zealand. 
Uh, certified B Corps are businesses that seek to benefit all stakeholders and hold themselves accountable uh, to using business as a force for good. Uh, Kule's background is in impact measurement and systems change, and she, she has recently returned from the UK where she worked for similar industry bodies supporting businesses to align profit and purpose. In her role at B-Lab, she is working across the private and public sectors to make impact measurement and stakeholder governance the new norm. Omanjika, welcome to you both, Massimo and Kule. It's awesome to have you. I'm going to pass across to you first, Massimo. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Aboka, and also your connection to nature um, during your childhood? Yes, I will try. Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me to this, uh, uh, to this talk, to this discussion, which is, uh, I think, uh, very, very interesting also because we will uh, look at the impact you know, from a different culture, different countries. And this is the most important point, I think, because what we are working on is a global new way of thinking. So uh, it's important that we interconnect between uh, different cultures. So, I'm now, as you said, the CEO of the family company, Aboke, that was founded by my father in 1978. And the company, it's about uh, working with uh, uh, medicinal plants in order to find solution for human health. So we work on uh, natural uh, products for health. And uh, I mean, my experience was since uh, I was born in 1971, so all my uh, life has been uh, inside the company, we could say, because uh, it, we started in Abuka, that as you said, is a place in Toscany where uh, we had the, our house, you know. And so uh, my connection with nature starts from my childhood. Uh, living in nature, living in the countryside of Toscany, and also my interest, the reason why I decided to follow my father and entering working into the company was because I had the feeling that this enterprise would uh, have allowed me to realize not only doing business, but realizing the idea of doing something, uh, working and trying to understand what is the relationship? What is the sense of the relationship between man and nature? And you know, in my life, the research of sense has always been a key point. And the fact of having the opportunity to realize that doing a, a work, uh, it's the real reason why I started working in Aboka. And today, I think I've, I've made the right decision because I see really the enterprise, as we said, when we talk about the B Corp uh, as a force for good, you know, because it's uh, really very interesting to have the opportunity to be an entrepreneur and doing something in order uh, to, in order to ameliorate our impact on society and on the environment. Thank you. Grazie, Massimo. Kule, I'm going to pass, pass to you now um, to hear a little bit more about your background. Kia ora. Uh, thank you very much, Matt and Claire, for having me. Um, ko Kule toku ingoa. Uh, uh, tamaki Makoto aho. Um, I'm from Auckland, Tamaki Makoto, here in uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and I think 
you know that connection with um just you know saying a few words there and today with maori um is is part of what my connection to nature was during my childhood and we're, we're really lucky here in new zealand to live in this bicultural country where by all means it's not always been um equal and, and still isn't but um i think a lot of those learnings from the maori worldview have really been instilled in us from a young age um, and I, I can't help but kind of connect nature to culture as well, um, coming from a multicultural background myself, um, kind of being half Chinese and growing up in New Zealand with sort of the Polynesian kind of community as well. Um, there's always this, you know, there's a thread there in a lot of those cultures around respecting um, Mother Earth and not taking, um, you know, more than you give back. Um, and so, yeah, nature to me really also speaks to culture and community and creating those spaces where we we come together. Um, in terms of my role, um, I'm, yeah, as you mentioned, Aotearoa manager for B-Lab, um, and it's a real privilege to be in this role. Um, I think hopefully a lot of listeners have heard of the B Corp movement, um, and it's really taking off now globally. Um, we have, you know, five and a half thousand B Corps around the world and some really influential big businesses and big brand names that people will recognize. Um, and so my role here is really around driving the movement um, and not necessarily just getting more B Corps certified, but actually leveraging those communities of B Corps to drive systems change here in Aotearoa, <clears throat> whether that's through public policy um, or influencing, you know, consumer behavior and, and the way the media talks about business. So, um, you know, it's it's amazing what you know we only have 80 b corps here in new zealand but the voice that they can really um have together as a collective is, is pretty amazing so feel very privileged to be in this role thanks so much for that Kule. that was a really um inspiring introduction and i think something that was really brilliant to hear from both yourself and also massimo when you were introducing yourself was that systems thinking lens and, and the way that that influences uh, both of your work, particularly when you talked about the, you know, the relationship between people and the environment, as well as uh, the need to align the way that businesses operate with the policy landscape and, you know, everything in between. Uh, my next question, I might throw to Massimo for this one, uh, which is about system th systems thinking, which is how has the systems thinking influenced the design of Aboka, um, you know, in particular, your governance and organizational structure? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a key question, you know, because uh, I think that system thinking uh, has an impact uh, almost on all aspects of our company. And maybe I could spend a few words just to understand uh, and to explain how we arrived to system thinking, because we didn't start from system thinking, <laughs> but uh, we just started with the idea of finding a natural solution for human health. And what we discovered was the fact, is the fact that you know, plants, uh, humans, animals, they all speak the same language. They all follow the same pathway, you know, the same metabolic scheme. And therefore, we started trying to understand this language. And in order to, uh, when you start studying the relationship between man and nature, you will come to a point where you understand that what we say normally, which is the point of the interconnection of everything, is not just an idea, it's a science. It's a law of science. 
And then if you start from this different observational, uh, this different point uh, of observation, then you came to realize that uh, you need to know how this law of natural works. And starting from there, uh, the system thinking will help us to understand uh, uh, the fact that everything in nature, as well in social organization, is organized in network. So network is the basic skin of life. And then uh, when we look at that from the point of uh, a social network, uh, uh, we came to understand that while in uh, nature, the network is defined by biological rules, in the social organization, networks uh, uh, are network of communication. So this is a very important point. Because if you ask me what is the impact of system thinking, at the first level, the, the impact is about the real existence of a social organization. Because you can say we are in front of a social network only if you understand that the social network is the result of interaction between the people that are part of the organization. And the organization itself is defined in the realm of the meaning that arise from the interaction between those peoples. I don't know if I'm clear about that, but this is a central point. In the B Corp movement, for example, we talk about the purpose company, right? Now, the purpose of a company is a central point, but this purpose is not something we can add from the uh, outside. It's something that emerges from the interaction of people. And this is a, a key point of a system thinking, the point of emerging properties. So uh, if you understand that, you will come to a point where uh, you understand that the first role, for example, of a chief executive officer will be the one of you know, uh, taking care of this meaning. Because this meaning will be the boundary that would define the organization. And, and this boundary would tell you why the company exists. And starting from this point, we came to who we are and what is our role in the world. So this is the main point. And then there are many other things that can be derived from this first uh, uh, central focal point, which is the key point to understanding the meaning and the role of a social organization. I don't know if I hope it's clear, you know, that it's quite uh, it's it's simple than it's simpler than uh, than, you know, explaining. But, you know, it's not uh, I, I hope I explained it well. So. Yeah, Massimo makes complete sense to me. I think one thing that was really interesting that you talked about when you were describing the way that um, Avoca, you know, responds to systems thinking and calls on systems thinking was that idea of um, relationships and uh, language and, and networks and connection and I think um, at you know through the conversations we've had at Voices of Region that gets talked about a lot you know in, in all sorts of fields the way that um, people are finding ways of reconnecting uh, back in with you know one another and the, and the land and sort of using that connection as a way to find uh, better ways of doing things. Um, on that note it would be really interesting, Massimo, to hear a little bit more about Aboka's typical or signature products. 
I mean, our products uh, are uh, made with extract of medicinal plants. And the key point of our products is that we focused on the whole phytocomplex. This is very important because, as you know, uh, almost all drugs came from plants. But normally, what uh, is done is that we try to understand, you know, to find one molecule, you know, extracting, isolating, reproducing, maybe modifying to be patented. And then we work with a linear uh, approach, one molecule, one receptor. We started with the idea that nature can have an intelligence that is even better than you know, human intelligence. And so we tried to work since the beginning with the whole phytocomplex, which means working with a, a natural complex system, which is made by, uh, by, by a multiple network of molecules. So this is the reason why we arrived to the system thinking, because we had the need to understanding how work the complexity of nature. And starting from there, and thanks to the new modern techniques, now we can understand, and really it's something new, thanks to the system biology, you know, to the, all the omics platforms, so very advanced scientific platform, we can start understanding how complexity works. But in order to do that, you need to have the basis of a system thinking. And the basis of a system thinking uh, would also be applied to our organism in order to explain how the human body works, because the human body itself, it's a complex system. So what we study is the relationship between, you know, natural complex systems and our body. So all our products are, just to explain, because if not, it seems something strange, but, you know, we work uh, starting from homeostasis, which means dietary supplement for well-being, uh, up to minor ailments. We are leading the market in Europe and, for example, in the cough area, uh, cough and cold, and then with the gastrointestinal tract. And our key point is that our products work in order to restore the physiology of the organism. So again, it's an approach, a multifactorial approach. And the same is what we can, you know, and starting from there, we arrive to understand that also social organization works at the same manner. And there is a lot of consequences uh, uh, that we can derive from this new paradigm in medicine, in social organization, in understanding what is the key point of what Matt said before, the relationship between everything, enterprise, community, territories, and so on. Massimo, I love that explanation. I think systems thinking is something that can be really complex and difficult to get your head around. And it was really cool to hear you talk about how systems thinking applies in all different areas of your organization, you know, whether that's um, the, the products you're producing or the human body of um, someone who's using your products or whether it's, um, you know, your, your business in itself and, and the way that you operate. So I think that's a very cool example of how all of those different systems can learn from one another. Um, on that note, I'd love to hear if you have any standout examples of how systems thinking has influenced a recent decision in your organization. Uh, but I mean, uh, uh, of course, there are a lot of decisions that are made based on that. Uh, 
I mean, as a big corp, you can also look at that in our impact rela relation, you know, where we explain that almost everything is made following this paradigm. But maybe uh, what I think can be more important here is to understand that the system thinking, for example, will impact in all our um, approach to the man, man, people management. I think this is the most important point because, uh, uh, and so I would like to make this example because it's the way we approach relationship in the company. And it's the fact that uh, if you enter into this system thinking, uh, the first consequence is that you understand uh, that the linear scheme, that it's common effect, which means normally I say something and the other person has to do it, is something to be changed. So what we do, and for, we, do, we invest a lot also in training for our people, is to let them understand that the living system is something that cannot be direct. It can also only be uh, Capra, Fridge of Capra. I don't know if you know Fridge of Capra. It's you know, one of the, the founder of the system thinking. He called this as a, a meaningful disturbance. It means that you can only disturb people because a living system will respond in an autonomous way. This is a very important point because it changed the way people re, uh, uh, enter in a relationship with other people. And the point is that what we are looking is not to say and to organize the company based on the normal way of uh, managing a company where there are uh, you know, directors and other employees. Someone has to give a direction, the other one has to follow. No, we know that we have to build context and processes. So what change is the concept of leadership and responsibility. Then this is at the, at the real focal point of changing and having a system thinking, and that uh, every decision will be made in a different, in a different manner. So that's, uh, that's I think, uh, the first and the most important consequences, consequence of uh, understanding uh, and applying system thinking into an organization. Then there are many, many decisions. I can say, you know, a lot of them, you know, because uh, it, it's, a, it's a, a mentality. How could you say it's a way of working in everyday life, in everyday work. Yeah, thanks so much, Massimo. And I think something that's really uh, brilliant to have um, particularly with you and Kule as guests on this episode of Voices of Region is a real balance uh, between the way that different organizations approach, um, you know, good governance and also the similarities between those, those different approaches and the, and the complements between them. It was really cool to hear you talk about the way that Aboka uses a particular mentality uh, to influence the way that you govern your organization. And I think, um, you know, something we love to do on, on Voices of Regen is to look at two sides of the same coin where we're exploring those really big picture concepts and at the same time looking at really practical tools and, and ways of implementing uh, those concepts. So with that in mind, I'd really love um, to, to flick to Kule now and, and learn a little bit more about a particular 
uh, tool that B-Lab has um, around B-Impact certification. So I'd love to talk more about the B-Impact assessment. And firstly, perhaps it might be helpful, um, Kila, if you can just give us a quick rundown of what the B-Impact assessment actually is. Yeah, sure. So um, the B Impact Assessment is our free tool that businesses use um, and it's used for certification. So it's an online assessment. Um, anyone can sign up and start using it tomorrow. Um, there's about 250,000 businesses around the world that use it. Um, and that's broken down into five impact areas. So governance is the first one. Uh, and then we've got community, customers, workers and the environment. Um, and there are a number of uh, questions in each of those sections, and they're all given a, a number of points. Um, so when businesses aim to get certified, they need to get a minimum of 80 points across those five impact areas. Um, and the way that that's designed is really to, um, you know, allude to this concept of stakeholder governance and the fact that our businesses should be responsible to all stakeholders. And that's kind of those five, five groups, not just shareholders, not just driving profits for shareholders, but actually having a positive impact for all of those people, you know, our employees that work for us, our, you know, suppliers and our supply chain, and also obviously um, planet Earth, where we draw all our resources from. Um, so yeah, probably in a nutshell, that's the BIA. Awesome. Um, and you mentioned that governance is one of the really big categories in the B Impact Assessment. And I'd love to hear more, particularly for our listeners who are wondering how they might be able to adopt some of that thinking in their own organization um, and in the governance of, of their organization. What are the key governance considerations in the B Impact Assessment? Hmm. <clears throat> well, picking up on um, one of Massimo's points, I think, uh, I think you mentioned the word caretaker, uh, and in um, Te Reo Māori, uh, we call it kaitiaki, which is a guardian. And I think at a high level, the governance section is really about shifting that mindset from being, you know, the manager or the director of an organisation to being a guardian, a kaitiaki, and a being a guardian, not just of the finances, but of um, to use another trail word, uh, taonga, which is sort of treasures um, in the world. And that, that can be people and that can be, you know, uh, planet Earth and natural resources as well. So I think really at a high level, what we're trying to do is shift people from, you know, thinking about that they're a day-to-day -day manager of, of money and assets to I am a guardian of the people and planet and the communities in which this business operates. Um, what that sort of translates into in terms of very practical, you know, certification questions um, is around how your board is structured um, and also your kind of governing um, documents, so your company constitution. Um, so a very big part of becoming a B Corp is embedding a purpose and a stakeholder clause in your company constitution, which is really about um, committing your directors to considering the needs of all stakeholders in decision making. Um, and if we think about sort of the dominant view of business for the last 50 or 100 years, it's really been to drive profit at the expense of everything else. So these purpose and stakeholder clauses that are put into the constitution are really to safeguard this way of thinking about decision making so that no matter who's running the company, they are bound by this responsibility to think about, you know, okay, we're going to open a new factory in Southeast Asia, you know, what impact is that going to have on the community there? Um, you know, what resources are we potentially going to be using up to build it? What, you know, will we be displacing anybody? You know, are our workers in that place going to be treated fairly? 
all of those are things to consider, not just, you know, is this factory going to make us more money as a business? Kule, I love that um, word they used around a, a kaitiaki. Uh, I think um, to our Māori or the Māori worldview has so much wisdom and uh, something that we we really love to explore uh, through these discussions of Voices of Region is, you know, how that wisdom can support better businesses. And it's really wonderful to see um, that concept of kaitiaki um, be embedded in the B impact assessment. And um, I, my hope, and I'm, and I'm sure you're seeing it on the ground as well, um, Kile, is that more businesses take on their role as a kaitiaki. And, um, you know, we can start to really see some big shifts in the way that businesses operate and the way that organizations see their role in society. On that note, I'd really love to hear if you have any standout examples of organizational governance that's, you know, have really, um, set an organization apart in the B Corp community? Um, it's a funny one because governance is, is like the most unattractive sibling amongst the five impact areas of the B impact assessment, usually because on the surface, it seems very boring. Um, but as we've, you know, as we've been discussing here, it's so transformative, some of the things that you can do at a governance level and a systems thinking level. Um, I think, you know, some of the practical examples are um, the way that businesses kind of use, you know, they'll have that purpose statement in their company constitution, but then really, you know, bring that right through their organization. So setting sort of impact KPIs for all of their, you know, their leaders and their staff so that everybody is working towards that shared purpose and you know, you're reporting on it regularly, it's part of your job description to be delivering on these impact KPIs as well as kind of traditional success metrics, which are usually financial. Um, and that can really give, you know, a lot of the time that educates the board who tend to be, you know, usually of an older generation and maybe didn't grow up with this way of thinking. Um, and it's really beautiful to see that younger generation, um, you know, educating the board on how to make impactful decisions at that level and kind of you know there's new innovation that always comes out and so I think that that relationship between workers and the board um, can really be transformed through really good governance um, and you know I, I've experienced that actually at B-Lab you know we have an amazing governance model um, and really you know just direct conversations with our board members and um you know it's it's just goes so much against the you know the way businesses have been run for the last 50 years yeah brilliant it's um yeah it, it's awesome to hear these different cultural perspectives kind of coming coming out because it, it is something that we as Claire said that we love to to celebrate and it and it's refreshing, you know, to hear from quite different perspectives, you know, similar principles emerging. Um, Massimo, I, I wanted to kind of take you up on your uh, on one of the principles that that guide Aboka and 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 create an opportunity for. I think I'm not sure the exact phrase, but it was something like positive disturbance, you know, um, that that can kind of catalyze, you know, different pathways of communication. And I, I'm going to put that forward. Um, as an option, if if each of you would like to ask each other a, a question or share something across across cultures, because there might be something that you're curious that you might be able to learn um, between Aotearoa and, and New Zealand and Italy. So I'll just give you a moment to to think about if you do have a question for each other. Um, but just something that comes to mind: Regen projects we were having a 
a marketing strategy uh, conversation with an agency um, called Young Folk, uh, Young Folks, um, also a B Corp, um, a lot earlier this week. And one of the things that we did in that discussion as we, we had a, a group of our team, so we had four of us from the team, and then we created a fifth seat um, for the planet to recognize that other stakeholder in the conversation. And uh, we, a couple of us had to step out of the conversation early, but I remember passing it to one of our team members, Jari, as we were stepping out saying, Jari, before you do the checkout, just make sure that you run it by you know, the planet <laughs> to work to make sure that we're on the right track here. Um, because uh, it's just, yeah, it's just a, a different way of, of thinking about things. And, uh, and one of the other projects that we're involved in the fire circle, which is really about elevating um, First Nations and, and diverse cultural perspectives, it's something that we've heard the elders talk about in many different contexts. So um, yeah, it was just a story that came to mind. But uh, yeah, uh, QLA or, or Massimo, feel free to unmute yourself. But And if there's a question that you'd like to ask each other, we'd be curious to hear. You know, maybe from my side, since it's very interesting to, to hear from Kiala, uh, uh, her approach based on her culture. And we are here in Italy, at, you know, uh, this week in Assisi, there would be a big meeting with, uh, France, uh, with the Pope, Francis Pope, uh, for economy of Francis, of St. Francis. You know, St. Francis is the, was born in Assisi, and now there is a movement called the Economy of Francesco, and the Pope will, uh, <clears throat> will talk uh, Saturday to the young people, and he will say almost the same thing. We are the guardian of nature, you know. We are not, we are part of nature. And what I wonder is if, uh, you know, also those different cultures seems to be into the same direction. But what I feel is the lack for a part of the world of the translation into the science paradigm. You know what I mean? And so it means that it seems that the system, this approach being a guardian, being part of nature, it's more of an emotion today. So we feel the spirituality, the message from a spiritual point of view, but I believe we need also to explain it in terms of a new scientific paradigm, because we need at the same time a cultural, spiritual and scientific revolution, because if not, we will always be set like, you know, the holistic guys or whatever. So I wonder if in your country, in New Zealand, in your culture, this is happening, or as I feel also in uh, Europe, this remains a very niche. And what we can do, what do you think we can do in order to translate this paradigm into a scientific new approach? Great question, Massimo, and very top of mind for me at the moment. Um, it's a big part of what I'm trying to do in, in my role here is align the Tao Māori, the Māori worldview, and what we're doing at B-Lab. Um, you know, coming into the role and learning more and more about the standards, I, you know, it felt like there was so much alignment there, and it felt disingenuous for us to come into a culture and say, you know, this is the right way to do business when you have Indigenous groups that have been doing this for centuries. Um, but at the same time, it is really difficult. It's sometimes when you when you do try to draw that alignment, it feels like you you sometimes take a little bit away from that emotional, you know, the, the 
description of a kaitiaki versus how we explain that in English sometimes doesn't it doesn't come across and it doesn't actually shift hearts and minds in the same way so I think it's a really difficult thing I agree that we do you know in order to convince the masses we need to be able to to translate that and kind of build the bridge um, there is some really interesting stuff being done at the New Zealand government level at the moment. So um, we have what's called the Living Standards Framework. So it's like a well-being framework for our country. Um, and that has been translated into a, a kind of a, a Maori version, um, which uh, it doesn't kind of translate it exactly, but it is a similar concept. Um, and that's, you know, I think is now going to start being used by our government in terms of measuring impact and outcomes for the community. Um, so it's very, it's it's quite early days in terms of businesses being able to use that framework and kind of connect their outcomes with the, the bigger kind of societal outcomes. But it's, it is work in progress. Um, and to be able to have, you know, an Indigenous framework like that at the government level uh, is pretty amazing. And I think you know, is is on the way towards, you know, translating that into maybe not scientific, but economic, you know, Western economic terms um, for businesses to work with. Um, but yeah, really tricky. And, and I think your question kind of touched, you know, my, my one back to you, I think we've just been talking so much about culture. Um, I'm intrigued to know if, if you think that there's kind of a indigenous Italian way of doing things which is really connected to nature it's like a historic um is there something about the Italian way that is inherently sort of along these lines of systems thinking and being connected with the earth but you know what I can say about the the Italian way maybe it, it's in this case when we talk about the, the it's more the religion that in Italy is very important so the, the, what, what the Pope is doing is very important. I don't know if you have read the Laudato Si, which is a very important text. Uh, it's an encyclica, encyclica, I don't know in English, it's, uh, you know, uh, but very, very, it's like a, um, in a, in a, putting a, a, the religion at the service of nature. So that's very important, you know. So what I can say about the Italian way, maybe something more that could be interesting also for you, looking at the economic model. And it's the fact that in our tradition, you know, during the, uh, the, the 19th century, uh, they started in Naples talking about a new concept of economy, which now is called civil economy, where the principle uh, at the base of that it's uh, in Latin is uh, homo homini natura amicus, which means that by nature, we are, you know, a friend of uh, the other man's, which is the opposite of the vision of the European uh, philosophy tradition, which is based on Hobbes, which is homo homini lupus, which means that we are everyone against the other. So there are two, you know, a paradigm and the economic, the civil economy says we don't need to see each other in war against each other, but we need to understand that we are made to cooperate. And there is a very long tradition starting from uh, San Tommaso from the Middle Age that says that. So I think that the contribution of the Italian way, you know, can be the Italian, European, but Italy in this case is the center of this philosophy 
can be very important, you know, uh, just uh, uh, opening up a new way of uh, uh, looking at value as the result of the cooperation, as well as cooperation as the key of life, symbiosis and so on. So again, I turn to the scientific point just because I think we have to uh, create a bridge in the scientific paradigm, which is very reductionist. If we don't do that, I believe I don't believe we could uh, have a success or so with the new economic paradigm. I'm glad that we opened it out. <laughs> we opened it out there because it, it's uh, there's a few kind of pearls coming through, and it's it's really interesting um, to see where when I think Massimo, your 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 provocation there around this merging and the balancing of scientific, spiritual, and cultural um, revolution and, and perspectives, and then Cule, uh, the way that you you talked about perhaps indigeneity in the Italian context. One of the moments that comes to, my, comes to mind as you're both sharing those perspectives is I was walking through the Aboca Museum in San Sepulcro back in June. And um, for, for regeneration projects, we have this uh, initiative called Regen Fridays, which generally means that on a Friday, I'll spend an hour going down to one of our local waterways and, and collecting litter or rubbish um, as an acknowledgement of the interdependent relationship that our business has with um, our local uh, yeah our local bay and then Port Phillip Bay and on this particular day I happened to be on a Friday and we had a visit to the Aboka Museum and I remember walking through and it kind of traces the history of using herbs and and, and plants for medicinal um, use uh, from the point of when there is a variety of plants being used, you know, in a mortar and pestle, and then the progression of that through through the ages, and it got to a point uh, where it was kind of this beautiful um, cabinetry, and uh, I guess taken from an, an apothecary, apothecary um, in the region or or in Italy, elsewhere in Italy. And one of the things that stood out to me was that in the middle of it was this the uh, I guess the balance what do you call it Massimo where you have the um the balancing of the weights and the plants to create the even point what what's that even called I'm having total mem memory blank it's in the last it's in the last room in the Aboka museum um when you go from the hallway where you have to duck down um and there's that there's that hallway on the end but then you duck down into that beautiful apothecary and on the table there's this balancing Wait, what, what's that called again? Uh, I mean, the balance uh, in, in order to, to I, I don't understand well. You said the balance that it's on the table when you enter into the pharmacy, into the yeah, that's That specific piece of equipment, what's the name of that? I don't, I didn't well understand what equipment you're talking about. So that's, that's okay. It's a beautiful brass piece of, um, it's essentially, it's a weighing system and a me, it's a measurement system. And I had this moment where I guess, having been deeply influenced by indigenous cultures here in, in Australia and in Aotearoa in America, um, it really reminded me that in the Western mind, that process of measurement is 
deeply in the indigeneity, I suppose, Mm -hmm. of of the Roman mind. And, And so what it got me thinking was that here we are measuring medicines and and plants and that the uh, a tool like the the b impact assessment is kind of doing the same thing for businesses and i had this moment of acceptance where i was like you know what you know the people that find measurement challenge you know challenging for um you know businesses that approach systems thinking and try and have a regenerative and holistic perspective it's like you know what, it's actually okay. Like measurement's part of healing the human body and other things as well. And so, yeah, it's just a, it's just an interesting thing to, to put together in, in this conversation, because I guess it just reminds us um, that we do need to find the balance between those two worldviews or different perspectives, but that, you know, we can. Um, and the more that we progress and lean into that, Aotearoa, um, with the you know the resurgence or the in resurgence resurgence in the mainstream of Te Reo Māori is is creating such an amazing example of how cultures can use these different uh, worldviews comp- in complementarity. So perhaps on that note, um, mindful that we've got just a couple of minutes left, are there any final tips for our listeners? I'll come to you first, um, Kule. Is there anything that you'd love to put out there as a tip for organisations in their governance approach for, uh, yeah, for 2023? Uh, well, you stole my one of mine, actually, which was about giving a seat at the table to those that don't have a voice. Um, and I've seen this done many times in lots of different ways, and I think it's a really beautiful simple way for businesses of any size to um, take on that role of guardianship in their their governance. Um, So whether that's a a seat for the Mother Earth, whether it's a seat for future generations, um, a seat for, you know, um, people that are marginalized from society that you might not normally engage with as a business. Yeah, having an empty seat at the table to remember to consider their their needs um, in, in your work. Um, but then my other one would be around collective action. And, you know, even if you are the most ethical, sustainable, impactful business, mm. um, you won't change the world on your own. And we have to all work together and drive change. And we can get there so much faster together. Awesome. Two really clear, punchy, punchy tips for our listeners. Thank you. Massimo, what's your, what's your tip for our listeners? I think that the, 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 the point is when, uh, when we look at our enterprise as an entrepreneur, uh, I think uh, that the real change will come once we understand also as a big corp that when we say we are all interconnected, it's not an idea, it's a law of nature and this would change everything. So I would suggest uh, to everybody to work a lot on trying to really understand this point and then to create a culture in the company around that. So to work and to invest in training, because uh, if people really understand this interconnection, then everything would change. And what would change mostly would be the sense of working, the meaning of working. Uh, So people will come to work with a different approach, where the point will be not anymore that the profit is creating a value, but is creating value that would generate the profit. Having that in mind, everything will be focusing on value and the, the, the world and our life also will change uh, in a good way, I think. 
that brings us to the end of our podcast today. And uh, Kile and Massimo, just thanks so much again for um, all of your brilliant thoughts that you've contributed to the discussion. I think something that really stands out to me in a really common thread that came through all of our discussions is this idea of value and, you know, really embedding value in the way that organizations are governed and the huge opportunity that presents to create, you know, a truly purpose-led and impactful economy. Um, you know, Massimo, when you talked about the way that you view um, a business as a system and, you know, the, the way that um, you value nature and, and the human body and, and also understand the connection that that has uh, to your business is a really interesting way of, of looking at things and um, curate your points around, you know, being a kaitiaki or a, a guardian or a steward of a business um, and really thinking about what you truly value in an organization, again, is I think such an important shift that we're seeing happening more and more in the world of governance and business. So I just wanted to say thank you so much again for having you, um, for, for joining Matt and I on the podcast. And um, yeah, we're really looking forward uh, to seeing, you know, the, the B Corp movement grow in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and also seeing what's next for Aboka. Uh, so thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you on the next episode. Kia ora, thank you. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Matt.